I guess the bottom line with me is perspective. Uh, and since I've got, I didn't ask to write what you want, want you, but I've started speaking when I, you know, when I, when anything is possible became popular. I, I would speak and I would end up talking about these things like I am with you. And some of the people say, aren't you supposed to talk about your book? And I said, it's in the book. The book is a novelization. <laughs> you know, love- just the names are changed. Aesop's mother was my grandmother. I love I love the um, I mean, we talked about ideas earlier, but there was, there was one bit which I just wanted just to reference, which um, I think it was it's about this idea where your dad taught you about um, being a good host to ideas. And actually, whether it's a good idea or a bad idea, you've got to be a good host. Could you maybe just explain what you mean by that? I love that. Absolutely. And that this is when when I ask your dad, how do you be creative? He said, well, I'll tell you how I do it. I declare what I want and let it go. And I'm like, what? I'm six. <laughs> what? And he said, well, son, we're all energy. And when we declare what we want, we send energy out there. And if what we want serves others, we'll get it. And I said, really? He said, that's been my experience. And I said, okay, so energy, what do you mean energy? And I said, mean like a light bulb? And he said, well, son, you're on the right track because a light bulb is the result of energy. I said, oh, I think I saw energy the other night because I saw lightning. He said, also the result of energy. He said, son, nobody's ever seen energy. But just the two examples you gave, we know it's there. So we have energy. So when we declare what we want, we send energy out there. And I said, and then what happens? And he said, well, an idea comes to me. And I said, it does? He said, always. He said, as soon as I declare what I want, Sometimes a lot of ideas come in. And I said, well, what do you do with those ideas? He said, well, I believe that our feelings are our best barometer. So if it feels good, I'm a good host to it. I said, you're a host? And he said, yeah, when your buddy Georgie comes over, I notice you throw him an apple, get him a glass of water. That's caring for, that's being a good host. That's caring for your friend. And he said, ideas are friends too. When these ideas come in, and I said, well, okay, what, what, so yeah, I know if they're bad, uh, I don't do them, right? And he said, yeah, if it doesn't feel good, broom it. If it feels good, be a good host. And I said, what if I don't understand it? And he said, I love your question, son, because he said, you hit on something that's very important. You, you very likely won't understand it because if you did, it wouldn't be new. Now, at six, I'm still like, whoa, yeah, yeah. And I said, okay, so now... I declare what I want, and then an idea comes, and I don't understand it, but I'm a good host to it. And he said, yeah. And I said, okay. Now, now what? And he said, well, I, I say I'm taking action. I said, how can I take action with something I don't understand? He said, exactly. The universe understands intent. He said, we don't have to understand. We usually know why later, but this is part of trusting which is the next step. So I said, okay, so I declare what I want. I'm a good host. And then when the idea comes in, I say I'm taking action, although I don't know what I'm doing. He said, yep. And I said, and then what? He said, trust like a tea kettle. I said, what? He said, son, when you put a tea kettle on the stove, what happens? I said, the water boils. He said, not yet. You have to put fire under it. You know what your fire is? What do I want? Being a good host. I'm taking action. That's your fire. Now your water's going to boil. Are you going to stand there and wait for it to boil? I said, probably not. But he said, but your awareness is heightened because you're waiting to hear the. I said, yeah, 
He said, that's the way it goes. So that is the formula that I have used. Now, I didn't realize it was a formula until I was writing my novel. And then they, they rose like pillars, Duncan. It was an amazing experience because I saw these pillars. And first, they were just four pillars. And then it was, what do you want? Be a good host. Take action. Trust like a tea kettle. Wow. And you know what? This is the formula that has never failed me. Unless the reason that I'm asking it is not serving others. But I kind of learned that early enough. And most of what we want serves others, you know? If I were to say I want five Ferraris, well, that's kind of silly, you know? But if I were in the business, five Ferraris would probably come my way because I'd be selling them, you know what I mean? Sure. So, and when I've written songs... It's this idea of serving, you are. I mean, it, it comes up, that, that theme comes up again and again because, I mean, I remember another one when you were saying how uh, you were you were just in the neighborhood, and your dad was pointing out. You know, you had a um, you had like what the baker, the blacksmith. You had all these um, like professions, and the key was that tied them all together was that everyone was serving other people. Was it? Wasn't that right? I it's believe this idea so. Of servitude. It just comes. You know, as long as the intention behind is actually how can you add value and how can you serve others, then you know the rest sort of not take care of it takes care of itself. But you know, that's just such a great starting point, isn't it? I, I couldn't agree more, Duncan. Yes, it is a starting point. And the other thing, what, the other thing that Dad mentioned, he said, you know, when you love what you do, it makes service even more fun. Because <laughs> now you just can't wait, you know. And, and to give you an example, you know, Jimmy Iovine, who with Dr. Dre came up with Beats, right? I'm wearing them right now. These are the greatest earphones ever. <laughs> oh, my God. I never thought I'd pay $450 for a pair of earphones. What is crazy? <laughs> I love these things. I, I lie in bed and watch movies listening to these things. Uh, it's amazing. But anyway, Jimmy, you know, so Jimmy created, Jimmy and, and Dre created this thing and then, uh, and, and sold it to Apple for $2.8 So now he becomes uh, a philanthropist. That's Jimmy's, Jimmy's a giver, you know. And he served when he was an engineer, so did Dre. So... Now, he's talking with a friend of mine, Jim Ellis, who is the dean of the school of Marshall School of Business at USC, which is my alma mater. Excuse me. And he's at an event, and he's talking to Jim, and he said, Jim, how would you educate the next Steve Jobs? And Jim said, honestly, I don't know. And Jimmy says, I do. And you know what? I want to start a school. And how do I do that? And Jim Ellis says, well, it takes money. He said, I'll fund it. So now we have a school at SC. And it's the, it's the, uh, it's the Iavine Young Academy. And what they did is, Jimmy said, I know a lot about lower education. I know nothing about higher education. <laughs> but I worked with Steve. I watched how we did it. We were on the same path. And, and he said, so, and I realized that every great invention that I can remember started off in a garage. So their classroom is a garage. I love that. And now they have a dean that runs that because somebody in the school needs to run it. And, and she spoke afterwards and she said, you know, there is one problem that we're having with this school. What is that? We can't get them to go home. 
It's like midnight. We're shutting the doors. Go home. No. <laughs> now, does that tell you that they're doing something right? That doesn't, that doesn't sound like most schools. That sounds pretty unique. <laughs> exactly. So that goes back to when we are doing what we love. A, we do it for free. I mean, I made music for free until people wanted my services, you know, and whatever we do. If you like to sew and all of a sudden says, would you make me one of those? You know, you go, yeah, well, make one for my sister, too. And here's 20 bucks. You know, I mean, this is the way things happen. It should be fun, shouldn't it? Like, I don't know that it shouldn't be it should, like learning and fun. You know, often separated, but they should be one and the same, shouldn't they? I, I agree, Duncan. And, you know, a lot of this, my theory is that this happened during the industrial age. Now, we needed the industrial age. We would not be talking on Skype right now. If it weren't for the industrial age, God bless them. But the thing is, we're thinking like that. Our educational system. Have you ever watched uh, one of your countrymen? Uh, um, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Sir Ken Robinson. Uh, Have you I, heard of I, Ken Robinson? I, you know what? He's got what the most watched TED Talk, one of the top TED Talks ever about the schooling system. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Well, that's what I'm talking about. And when I watched that, I thought, oh, my God, I've been thinking this for 30 years and somebody's put it in English. Somebody's put it into words. And it's the truth that, that it, tends to, it tends to destroy creativity, not because they mean it. And it's not the teachers. It's the, the system. Hmm. But the system was built to put out people to work in the factory. Well, the factories are going away. We will always have factories of some sorts. But now we have the freedom to do like what you and I are doing right now. You know, we're creating value as we talk. And yet we're having a great time and, and kicking around thoughts. And so I think that we have more opportunity than ever. But what I run into and the reason I've sort of gone into this industry, so to speak, is that the things that, my, that I grew up with from my grandmother and my father gave me a new perspective, gave me a different perspective. I mean, I remember one day I said to dad, dad, this is when I'm in my 20s and I'm visiting him and dad monitored me like crazy, but I never felt he was intruding. Mm. But he goes, son, are you okay? And I said, no, I'm not. And he said, what's wrong? I said, oh, I made a terrible mistake. And he said, oh, did you now? Or did you just take a step on your journey that gave you an unexpected response and it was... <laughs> unpleasant. And I said, yeah, yeah, and yeah. <laughs> he said, did you learn from that? And I went, yeah. He said, how can that be a mistake? Wow. All of a sudden it's like, oh. So again, I just felt okay. Isn't it a great feeling to feel like I'm okay? And you know, another thing that he said that I just remembered this week, this is what I love because I'm mining my dad. I was with him for 45 years. So I'm mining these things and with him all the time. We hung, you know. And I remember another time I said, Dad, I made a mistake. He said, did you make a mistake or a discovery? <laughs> well, a mistake, when we feel like we make a mistake, we shrink. We contract, you know. It's a bad feeling. It's like, oh, you idiot. But when we make a discovery, we just expand. So he said, son... Edison made about 10,000 discoveries before he made that light bulb because he tried this filament. It didn't work. He didn't go, oh, man, this is a bummer. He goes, oh, that doesn't work. Discovery. That's not going to work. 
did it again, did it again, did it again. And it's just, but that perspective change, isn't it amazing? It makes us smile and it makes us want to go forward instead of go back and say, oh, I better learn what I'm doing. You know, it's like people will tell me, um, I hear somebody playing piano. So I love the way you play piano. They said, yeah, but I'm not, I'm not a real musician. I said, and why is that? Well, I don't read music. And I said, what does that have to do with music? Music started in the caves. Reading music only came along when we wanted to use it to disseminate to somebody who wasn't there. I'm in a room with you, man. I don't need for you to read music. Play along. I'm just enjoying it, you know. But jam. see, this is the way we get. Say, like, you don't read. You don't do this. You don't do that. You know, I, I posted a thing that, by Van Gogh. He says, if you hear a voice that says you can't paint, by all means, paint. That voice will go away. It's amazing. Yeah, isn't it? It's a perspective changer. So that's kind of what I become almost like a discovery mentor for people to give them another perspective. There was a young woman that is now working. I mean, she's a young woman came to me as a sophomore in high school and said, uh, I want to go to USC's uh, music industry program. And I said, great. And so she got in very smart, very dedicated and she, and she said, I don't know what I want to do. And I said, that's what the university's for. Just get in there and someday something's going to go, that's it. You're going to discover what you want. So she called me and she said, this is like her second year, sophomore year. She said, I discovered what I want. And I said, what? She said, I, I want to be, I want to manage talent. I said, awesome. She said, do you have any suggestions? And I said, well, I'll tell you what I do. I'd start at home. She said, there's nobody in my family with talent. They're all doctors. And I said, no, no, no. At your home, who do you love? Who are the artists that you love? Pick two to five of those artists and drill down into them. Find out who's managing them. And then when you find out who's managing them, drill down into the company and find one that matches your values. And you go like, oh, I love the way they do that. I love the way they do that. I love this viewpoint. And then write them and tell them. Say, hey, you know what? I decided I want to be a manager. And I want to, and I want to be, uh, I want to intern with you. And here's why. And tell them. And when they recognize themselves in that email, you're going to get called. And she said, oh, Tom, they're not going to call me. They don't, I'm nobody. They're not going to call. I said, you believe the lie. She said, what? And I said, besides, Zoe, you're not that smart. And she says, what? And I said, well, you're writing a story that it's a total lie. They don't know who I am. They're not going to believe. Well, they may not know who you are, but they're going to know who you are when they read that email. And if you're going to tell a lie, tell a fun one. <laughs> tell a lie about their, they can't wait to meet with me. Well, guess what? She sent out to five agencies. She got five responses. She picked the one she wanted to go with. And now she's working there this summer, no longer an intern. They're already there. We can't wait for, she'll be a senior next year. They can't wait for her to graduate. And she's got a job and she's doing what she loves. And she's working with the people she loves. starting at home, start with the things that we love. It's just amazing how it happens and how it works. Now, that. here's the thing that'll kill it. And dad pointed this out many times. He said, you know, the one thing that's to throw this off the tracks Doubt. He said, doubt closes the door to possibility. So I have found that I make fear my friend. I said, well, 
how, how do you make fear your friend? We run from fear. He said, well, that's just it. If you don't run from it, you can respect it. He said, the stove is hot, right? And my mom, I remember mom did what most moms, don't touch the stove, you're going to burn yourself. Of course I did, you know? I followed dad's suggestion with my daughter when she was two years old. I said, because she got, you know, interested. And I said, well, honey, I'm going to turn on that burner. Now, this burner is so important to us because it cooks our food. Now, the thing is, the burner doesn't know if it's cooking our food or our hand. It's not its responsibility. It's our responsibility. So I'm going to take your little hand, and I'm going to just inch it toward, and you tell me when you feel the heat. She goes, oh, I feel that. And I said, now, I'm, is it okay if I push it a little farther? So you, she goes, yeah. She goes, oh, yeah. And I said, okay. There you go. That cooks our food, but we need to respect it. We don't need to be afraid of it. We just respect it. You know, she never burned herself until she started cooking. Now she burns herself all the time, but that's, you know, so it's just a different perspective, isn't it? Absolutely. So instead of being, oh my God, oh my God, and what, you know, what we resist persists. We know that, right? And, and you don't want to be like, bold, I'm going to kick your ass, fear. You know, that's probably not going to happen. But if you just look at it and say, you know what? You have a reason to be here. And I respect that reason. It's amazing what fear does. It becomes an ally. Use it. Yeah, use it. <laughs> and Tom, we're going to have a, um, I ask all of our guests just a couple of three round questions right at the end. Um, what does a fulfilled life mean to you? I'm sure we, I mean, we covered some of the stuff there. I mean, there's so many amazing things. But yeah, if I had to say, what does a fulfilled life mean to you? What, what springs to mind? Being in service, doing what I love. And those things have changed over the years. You know, my first actual service to my community was when we had a terrible band that was playing our high school dances. And I talked to them. I said, you know, I know guys that we could do, do better than that. So I put together a band. Pretty soon I had two bands. Pretty soon I had three bands. I didn't want to be a band maven. I was in service. So that was putting together a band, right? And then you go into singing, you go into writing. All the things that I do is in service of others. So being in service to others, yet I love everything I do. I would do everything I do, I would do for free. So to me, that is fulfilled. I feel very fulfilled doing what I love because I wake up in the morning going, oh boy, not, oh hell, you know? That's a great answer. That would, that would be it for me. And what is one thing all our listeners can do today that will have a massive positive effect on their lives? Well, we've been talking about it. Ask yourself, what do I want? Simple, isn't it? It, does, it doesn't matter how big. This is what I've discovered. It doesn't matter how big the challenge or how little the challenge. As soon as we ask ourselves, what do I want? It takes us out of indecision because we get an answer. And that idea may have been knocking at the door, waiting to be noticed. And when you say, what do I want you, just open the door. Just cuts through all the minutiae, just gets straight to the point. Yes. So if I were, this is what I tell everybody that I mentor is, start with what do you want? And they say, well, I don't know what I want. I said, that's okay too. Because it will come. But it's not on our clock. You know, if you demand something, I mean, I can tell you a little story. You want to hear it? Yeah, absolutely. I've been telling you stories all day. And I keep them coming. Um, I, love, I love stories. <laughs> you learn much more from well, stories anyway. There was a lovely lady that, uh, that she and I went out, uh, just a lovely woman in, in um, 
Columbus, Ohio. And we became good friends and she was on the board of the opera. And she called me one time. She said, help me think of something to raise money for the opera. We're going to have a big, you know, get together and, and we need something to auction off. Think of something. And I said, auction me off. I'll write a love song for the winning couple. And she said, great. What a good idea. So they put it up there and it raised a nice amount of money. And so I asked the couple to email me about the other person. Tell me what you love about your husband. Tell me what you love about your wife. And in this, I discovered that they had never held another person's hand. They had been together since they were children. And this put me in a quagmire, Duncan, because most love songs are built upon contrast. I was going here, you were going here, we came together, now we're going together. I was sad, you were happy, you were sad, I was, you know? There's a contrast to love and love songs, and there was no contrast here. So I was getting nothing. That's the way that I I ask questions when I write, you know? What do I want? Well, I want a song that's going to serve this couple in a special way, because this is a special relationship. Well, I was getting zero, man. And finally, they were calling and said, how's that song coming along? And I said, um, it's in process, which it was. It just hadn't showed up. <laughs> so finally, I kind of got a little um, demanding with my muse. And I said, look, I put myself out there to serve others, to raise money for a good cause. And I need help. I'm getting nothing. Give me some help. And what I heard was sit down and be quiet. So I did, which is, I guess, a form of meditation, right? I sat down and one word came to me, masterpiece. And then the song flowed in, their love is a masterpiece. And the lyric to it goes like this. I wrote it so it can be sung by a man or a woman. I awaken to your scent each morning, your eyes glistening brand new. Inside I hear a whisper, how grateful am I for you? For we share the same heart, breathing out, breathing in. And only the angels know where you leave off and I begin. The work of our hearts is a masterpiece. Each golden moment, a masterpiece. Forever and always, my world is you. The work of our, well, the work of our hearts is a masterpiece. And so it is my life with you. This is it's amazing. Uh, trust, patience, and forgiveness are words we rarely say. For they're so embedded in us, we live them every day. And even when we're apart, we're as present as the stars. When I'm asked where my home is, I answer, it's wherever you are. And then it goes into the chorus and it says, you were the first, you'll be the last, the only one I see. In this ever-changing world, you're the rock of life for me. What a joyous ride together without fanfare, without drum. And this is only the beginning, for the best is yet to come. What an incredible present that would be. That was amazing. Well, I played it for my daughter, and she said, Dad, please sing this at my wedding, which I did, except I broke down and bumbled through it. like. (laughs) And the whole time, Duncan, I'm saying, dude, you're a professional. Stand up and sing. Stand up. Be a man and sing. And I (laughs) go, no, your daughter can do that to you. You (laughs) Thank you. Are there any books or resources which have changed or had a massive impact on your life? Well, my dad actually studied with Dale Carnegie. 
So when I was 10 years old, he gave me two books. One was Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich, which is the original self-discovery book. The other was How to Win Friends and Influence People. Those are the two books that I read first. And since then, I've studied with Tony Robbins, so I'm a big fan of. And I went to his Master University, and I learned so much, discovered so much there. And um, so those are basically, I love anything Tony writes. And um, He's amazing. <laughs> and then, uh, to, quite frankly, I recommend my books because of, it, I just love what it does for people. Uh, you've heard of Bob Rosengarten. He was like the famous drummer on The Tonight Show. No. Well, it was before your time. But anyway, he was very, very well known. And his son, Neil, kind of grew up in his shadow. And Bob was a good guy, but he was very demanding. And Neil just didn't show up, you know. And fast, way fast forward, Neil decides to take my course. And now he's got a jazz tune on the air. And he's happy. I could read his posts. They were just so, he hadn't shown up yet. You know, he was inside waiting to get out. And, and what I find that my course and what you want wants you as a book does, it, it is a pathway for people to get what they want. And it's not, I'm not telling you what to do. I've never been told what to do, and I'm not about to tell you what to do. <laughs> Anybody. Well, I'm not that smart. How arrogant would that be for me to say, Duncan, you know what you need? No. But I can suggest that, you know what? If you read this book, you might get a lot out of it. Yeah. And, and Aesop, anything is possible, is really the novelization of that whole philosophy. And I didn't realize it, but I read, I wrote what I heard. Fantastic. And how can people, last but not least, stay in touch, find out more about you, your work? We're going to say, I'm definitely going to send, going to put them, um, send them to your website, certainly, um, which will be that, in the link show notes. Yes. Well, the website is where you start. Just go to thomasbaylor.com. You can find everything there. Fantastic. You can buy the books there. You can sign up for the course there. You can read. Uh, I write for the Huffington Post. Um, um, I have over 50 articles. Right now, I think there are 43 articles up. And, um, and, I, and uh, again, they're just stories about, usually on Wednesday mornings, I, whatever my first thought is when I wake up is what I write about. And uh, last week, it was expand. Expand. And I thought, yeah, well, the universe is expanding. We know that. You know? We didn't know that 100 years ago. Now we know the universe. Well, if the universe is expanding, we're part of it. So we're expanding too. You know, and part of that expansion, again, is giving ourselves permission to be who we are, to, to say what we want to say. As long as it's not, we know when we're being harmful to others. You know we do. You know, if we're mad at somebody, you want to tell them to go to hell. You know, that has never served me. I've done it. Oh, my God, I've done it. You know, <laughs> But, but I noticed that it never served me, you know? And so, you know, what they say, uh, you know, if you haven't got anything good to say, don't say anything at all. Or look for something about that person that I still enjoy, even though I'm angry as hell with him right now. But say, you know what? I remember when this guy or this girl, yeah, yeah, I'm not really happy with you right now. But, you know, and then it doesn't even come out and it goes away. It's amazing. So these are the things that I've discovered through the wonderful way I was raised and that I'm sharing with others. And, uh, and I just love 
what I do. And I still compose. I'm writing a song cycle on the poetry of Hafez. And how did that happen? I have a muse, my own muse. Her name is Vicky Virtuoso. She sounds like a stripper, I know. But <laughs> her, her real name is this Antonietta Virtuoso. And she is totally Italian, but she grew up on Lake Constance in Germany. So her interesting, interesting, she has a very interesting uh, accent, so to speak. But she has brought more to my life and I to hers. We met almost 20 years ago. And, and she is the reason... One day I was driving across country and she called me and she said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm listening to Eckhart Tolle read A New Earth. You know, what a great, she says, turn it off. And I said, why should I do that? And she said, because I'm going to read poetry to you. I said, oh, okay, well, I'll do that. <laughs> so the first poem she read to me was this. When the violin can forgive the past, it starts singing. When the violin can stop worrying about the future, you will become such a drunk, laughing nuisance that God will then lean down and start combing you into his hair. When the violin can forgive all the wounds caused by others, the heart starts singing. I went, wow, this guy must be like a next door neighbor to Eckhart Tolle because it sounds like poetry based upon Eckhart. And she said, I don't think so because this guy lived in the 14th century. <laughs> He's a Sufi poet. They pronounce him Hafez, but it's spelled like Hafiz. So she sent me a book of his poetry. As I read it, Duncan, I heard melodies. This is my job. I wrote down the melodies. Then I turned it into a song cycle. So I have never been stumped. The closest I became to be stumped was Masterpiece. And look what came out of that. That was a bit of a struggle. But usually when I go, and, I, and a lot of this served me well when I was writing commercials, because you go in and the, you see what their thing is and what they want, and they kind of do your work for you and say, well, let's see, what are our, what are our options here? What do I want? I want to write something that nobody would ever dream of, and yet it'll just knock them out. That may be something. Or I just want something that'll groove its ass off that if they don't remember the product, they're going to remember the groove, and then they'll remember the product. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, but I ask, you know, I declare what I want. I want. And when I say I want and I'm serving others, I get it. What a, good, what a good note to end on. Thomas, I've absolutely loved this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chop this into two episodes because this has just been, it's just been an absolute yeah, powerhouse episode. I loved every minute of it. Thank you so, so much. It's been an absolute pleasure, you giving up your time. I know you're calling in from the States, so you're early in the morning, I'm late at night, and, but we made it happen. So thank you so much. It's my pleasure, and I look forward to meeting you next time I'm in London. And vice versa, when I'm in the States. Thank I really you. enjoy it. Talk soon. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Duncan. Thank you.